Well, once again, happy Easter to everyone. It is so, so good to be with all of you, and it is so good that you are here. Uh, As was mentioned before, no matter who you are or how exactly it happened that you are here in the room or online today, we're just glad that you're here And our prayer has been this entire week that that those who come, that we leave today strengthened and encouraged by the good news of what Jesus did for us in his life, death, and also today in his resurrection. Some of you might know this uh, about my family, but about five years ago, um, we became dog owners for the very first time. We were gifted uh, a dog by some friends, and it's a little eight-pound Morky, we named her um, Harper. Now, as I mentioned, she is quite small, and so some of my friends who like to give me a hard time, um, they don't really consider her to be a real dog because of how small she is. And so in that way, she doesn't consider, they don't consider us to be real dog owners. And I want you, you know, of you who love dogs, I want you to know that when that happens, I am very sure to cover Harper's ears so she does not hear such hurtful things that people might say. But although, although she is a small dog, one of the ways that she is like every other dog is that when people walk by our house or when they walk a dog by our house, she yelps and she barks like the best of them and does all that she can to run after those neighbors or run after the dog. And it's happened more than once where I'm outside doing something, I'm holding on to the leash I don't notice that there's someone walking by, but she does, and she makes a dash for it, and the leash goes right out of my hands, which is not a dangerous thing for the neighbor unless they don't want to be licked to death. That would be the only thing that Harper would really do. But it is a little bit embarrassing as I'm running after the dog, as she's running after them with her leash kind of bouncing along. Now, this happens at times when I'm holding the leash. But it never happens when I hook her up to one of these, which for you dog owners, not real hard to know what this is. You, you twist it down into the ground, and um, it's a post that you tie the leash to, and people can walk by, dogs can go by, but she barks and she yelps, she pulls and she tugs, but she doesn't get away. The anchor keeps her where she needs to be. Now, Not all of us here today have eight-pound dogs, but what I do know all of you have, once again this Easter, are things that pull and tug on your heart and on your mind. Once again this Easter, like the last two before us, it just feels like the world is a heavier place than it used to be. So what are some of the things that we're facing this year on the world stage? Well, a war in Ukraine that is not only devastating for the Ukrainians, but makes the entire world a less safe place. Um, We're all dealing with the reality that everything is more expensive. $4 gallons of gas. I went to buy eggs last week. The last time I purchased them, which was not that long ago, they were 99 cents. Come like two weeks later and they are $2.99 or over $3. Inflation's up. Crime in our major cities is up seemingly everywhere. There's a lot going on that's pulling and tugging on our hearts and on our emotions. And, And that's just the stuff on the world stage. Because every single person in this room, no matter what age you are, have personal things 
that you're struggling with either now or have been for the last year or will into the new year. We have personal concerns. Maybe some of you are dealing with a a health prognosis that's been challenging. Uh, Maybe it's a job. (laughs) Maybe it's parenting. I think this one's going to stay on my list forever because whether it's, you know, one day old or our oldest is 21, there's always things that... um, have concerns about parenting, relationship concerns, school concerns, the concerns about our self-image. And so there are events that happen in life, some on the world stage, some in your personal life that pull you around. And those events, you know what they cause in us? You can't control them, but those events cause there to be feelings and emotions in our hearts and in our minds. Things like fear and worry, anger, frustration, despair, and discontentment. And I want you to know when it comes to feelings, which we all have, that feelings on their own, emotions on their own, aren't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, for you to feel some fear in a dangerous situation is exactly how God wired you so as to possibly avoid getting hurt, right? But what happens is when we don't navigate these emotions in a good way, they become like an eight-pound morky that's pulling you around, that's dragging you places you don't want to be. Wouldn't it be nice to have an anchor? Wouldn't it be nice to have something to, to hook your mind up to, so to speak, to hook your heart up to, so to speak, to keep you where you need to be? And that's why you've gathered today. Because as our first fill-in tells us, Easter is the anchor that we need. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead, that he did not stay in the grave, I want you to know, is not just something that makes a difference in eternity, and it does. It's something that anchors you right now. And we're going to spend the rest of the time that I get with you today um, talking about how this is true. And so what I want to do is introduce you to someone who was right there near the tomb on Easter Sunday morning. Her name is Mary Magdalene. Literally, what this means is Mary from the town of Magdala, Mary Magdalene. And there are a lot of Marys in the Bible. You know, um, Jesus' mother was named Mary. There's Mary and Martha. This This is a different Mary. And her backstory is one that maybe very few of you know. Her backstory is that At one time, she was possessed by seven demons. It's a real thing, demon possession. It happened. It it can happen. And kind of what that means is that there were times in Mary's life and in her day where she had no control over what she said because she was possessed. There was no, she had no control over what she did. Can you imagine living that way? Well, she met this teacher from Nazareth. And in John chapter 8, we're told that Jesus was the one who cast those demons out of her. And meeting Jesus, it changed her life. And as she continued to follow Jesus, the one who could heal her, she began to realize that he was more than just a healer. That that he might be the son of God, that 
seems to be that he is the Messiah, the one that the world has been waiting for for so long. And she ended up following Jesus. You know, a lot of times when you read through the Gospels, you read about Jesus being with the disciples and Mary Magdalene is there as well. She, she gave her life to follow Jesus, the one who healed her. And then on a certain Friday, he died. And her life changed again. And you can just imagine the emotion that she was feeling that Sunday morning when she got up knowing that the one who had changed her life would no longer be eating lunch with her or teaching her as they were able to see each other face to face. And some of you have been with a loved one when they've passed away. It's heavy, isn't it? So imagine being with a loved one who's crucified brutally. Those sights and those sounds and even those smells that are deep and merry on that Sunday morning. And when she gets up, she heads to the tomb and there's something yanking on her. There's something pulling her heart, pulling her emotions. It's despair. She's convinced that Jesus is dead and that her life will never be the same. She's convinced that how great Jesus was, that he's not going to be giving her now the, the better life that she thought she would experience in this life, that her hope for a better life and a better future was buried in the tomb with Jesus. She gets up on Sunday morning, probably around 6 a.m. or so, they start towards the tomb in Jerusalem, and they're going there to finish the um, burial process for Jesus. And the main reason for that was that guys tried to do it on Friday, and women always have to clean up after guys. Uh, That wasn't the real reason. Um, The real reason was that according to Jewish Passover law, you could only handle a dead body until 6 p.m. on that uh, Friday before the Passover. And so they hadn't quite finished the the process the way it was supposed to be, so the women were going to finish it. And, And as they head to the tomb, they're convinced that there's a body in the tomb. And you heard... Matt, read these words earlier, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, Sunday, while it was still dark, probably a little bit before 6, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, along with some other, Mary, some other women as well, and saw that the stone was gone. It had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, that's John, the one writing this, and said... They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. And so Mary's convinced that someone stole the body. Now, we're here to celebrate the reality that someone didn't steal the body, that Jesus is alive. And if you're someone who has heard about this resurrection thing and are a tad skeptical as to whether someone could die and then self-resurrect themselves, 
If that's you, I understand. I've never seen someone do this either. I understand if in your heart, part of you is like chalking this up to maybe just another myth or a fable that people have about God or the the gods. I, I get that, but I want to point you to something else. See, some people think or some people say that these stories of Jesus being alive were fables that were sort of made up by the people who were there that day. Why would they make something up? Well, they say that like someone like John gave up his fishing life, his fishing job to go follow Jesus full time. Three years into it, the one he left his job for is dead. And so now what do you do? You, you feel embarrassed. Like I gave up everything to follow and now he's, he's dead. So you, you make up the story to save face. I want you to know, church, that while that might be something that some have thought, when you take time to look at what actually was written, there are evidences of this being true everywhere. I want to point out two. The first is this, that Mary and the women, as it were written, were the first to the tomb. Now, if you were someone who was making up this account of Jesus resurrecting himself to save face, and you could write whatever you want, I will tell you, you would not write that the women were the first at the tomb. Here's why. In the first century, in the Roman Empire, women had no legal right to testify in court. So it seems archaic today, like totally archaic. But back then, 2,000 years ago, people would not trust a woman's testimony. So if you're going to make up something about Jesus and his resurrection, there is no way you would choose the first people to testify about the tomb being empty and Jesus being gone as, as women. You just wouldn't write it that way. The other thing we read when you read the gospel accounts of Easter, is that the disciples were locked in a room terrified. They were scared. They had no idea that Jesus was risen, and they were fearful for their own lives. Again, let me put you in the, the sandals of John. You're trying to save face, so they say. And you can write whatever you want. Would you write something so bad about yourself that you didn't trust, you didn't understand, that you were scared? You know what I'd write if I were John? About 5.30 in the morning, I woke up, all my friends, my disciple friends, and we went out to the garden tomb. We'd all bought new suits and sundresses for Easter Sunday morning. We hid peeps and Cadbury eggs. <laughs> we had an amazing set list all planned for the band. And we were there, ready to celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead. But John didn't write that. You know why? Do you know why he wrote that the disciples were in a room terrified? Do you know why he wrote that Mary and the women were the first to the tomb? Because that's what really happened. And John and Matthew and Mark and Luke are just writing what they saw as unbelievable as it sounded. So Mary goes to the tomb. 
she thinks she's going to find Jesus. The tomb is empty. She thinks the body is stolen. She runs back to find Peter and John and tells them that the body's gone. And then what Mary does is after she tells Peter and John, she goes back to the tomb. She goes back to the cemetery. And that's where we pick it up also in verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. Now, let me read that again, but especially one part. She looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white. And then she just continues in her grieving process. When, when I read this, I guess I'm a little bit amazed. Like, Mary didn't ask any questions. I mean, she just saw two angels. She doesn't ask them questions. She doesn't change her tune. She just kind of continues in what? In her weeping and in her emotion and in her despair. And while I think that might seem a little bit weird or even crazy, the reality is when I look at my life and when you look at your life maybe, isn't that how emotions are? That we can be so into an emotion, whether that be anger or fear or despair or whatever it is, that nothing can pull us out of it. That we're so emotional that we miss what's right in front of us and we live by emotion rather than by truth. You see, we look at Mary and we think, man, why wouldn't you ask some questions? But then we look at our lives and we realize this, that we've been tempted to live by emotion rather than by truth. And once again, I understand, I get it. I, I'm there too. You know, one of the things I've, I've found as I've had a chance to counsel people and as I've grown to understand myself better is that every single person has an emotion that they tend to lean towards. And if they're not careful, this emotion, which can be good, takes them places where they don't want to be. And for the people you know in your life, maybe they're sitting next to you today, you kind of know already what their emotions are. If you're not sure what yours is, just ask them and they will tell you which one you struggle with, okay? But living by emotion rather than by truth can take us places we do not want to be. I mean, think about fear for a second. I mentioned earlier that fear can be a good thing. It helps us alert ourselves to something that could be dangerous. But do you know what happens when we allow fear to linger? It turns into worry. And when worry is left to linger, we can't be happy today because there might be something tomorrow. There might be something a year from now. There might be something 10 years from now that might happen. And so it takes away your joy today because you're so filled with fear and worry for tomorrow. We're blinded by the emotion instead of living by truth. Or how about anger? Again, anger, a righteous anger is a good thing. I mean, we should feel this emotion of, of anger over injustices in the world. But some of us are always upset with something. 
and always upset with someone. And we're very unhappy people because we're always angry. And people tiptoe around us because they're not sure when the next shoe is going to drop. And this good thing of emotion, of anger, can become a bad thing when we live by it. Or how about despair? That was Mary's issue, right? She was filled with despair, so much in her tears. Life is is ruined. And was it going to be hard for her in that moment? Absolutely. Does it make sense that she was crying? Absolutely. It would be weird if she wasn't crying. But what I'm saying is this, when we live by despair, when we live in the despair over something that's happened in our life, you know what happens? We get blinded. We get blinded to all the blessings that are in our life right now because we're so busy playing the victim from something that happened in the past. And so, yeah, Mary, it seems weird. Why would she be crying and weeping when right in front of her is the truth, two angels, but we've been there. So what happens next? So at this, then, she's talking or seeing angels. She turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. Maybe she wasn't seeing straight, maybe her head was down, we don't know why she didn't recognize him. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who's it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've taken him, if you've carried the body away, tell me where you've put him and I'll go get the body. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. And it clicked for Mary when the God of the universe in human form, Jesus, got personal with her and said her name. And and maybe there was bells ringing in her head of that day when she heard the same voice say the same name and then cast demons out of her life. The God of the universe gets personal with Mary. And she wakes up to see that the body is not stolen. She turns toward him, cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She realizes the body wasn't stolen. She realizes that Jesus is alive. The truth is, the grave could not hold Jesus, that he had risen from the dead. And what that meant, what that meant is that not only Mary's life, but Mary's eternity was changed. And you know, I think on a a day like this where we're gathered for the central truth of, of the Bible, the central truth of what it means to follow Jesus, it's good for us to just quickly, you know, talk about or through an illustration, understand what Jesus' death and resurrection means. And I want to use an illustration for this to, to help connect some dots. So I, I want you to imagine that you're shopping at um, Sam's Club or Costco, okay? And so you know how it's easy to go there and you think you're grabbing one thing and then your whole cart is filled. And, and so, so you're, you've got that full cart, you've got, you know, um, pizza rolls and frozen burritos that could last you for years, okay? And in this imaginary story, you do something you would never do. You're like, this is a lot of money. I'm going to make a run for it. I'm going to skip the checkout line and make a run for it. 
You would never do this, of course, but if you're at Costco or Sam's Club, where's the first time you run into an issue with that? It's at the exit, right? Because there you've got people, usually in their golden years, right, that are checking your receipts, right? And they're going to, to stop you at the door. And before they allow you out of Sam's Club, they're going to make sure that what's in your cart's paid for. And then you have every right to leave. Our lives are like a cart filled with sin things I want to do, I don't do, the things I don't do that I want to do, and it's, it's filled. And because that cart is filled, death rightly has a hold on us forever. But here's what Jesus' death meant. It meant that the cart of sin, along with pizza rolls, was paid for. It was paid for. And now death wants to hold on you, wants to, to hold on you forever. But death cannot hold on you just like Sam's Club, if the, the, the receipt is, or the, the bill's been paid, cannot hold on you either. Death has to let you go. Death had to leave, let Jesus go. And he lives. And when you and I die someday, on that last day, death has no claim on you anymore. And Jesus' resurrection is proof that your price was paid or that the price of your sin was paid. That's what we're celebrating today. Jesus paying the price of our sins and the resurrection meaning that death has no hold on us, just like it had no hold on him. Number three, Easter means that death has no claim on you. So this is an amazing truth that changes everything. Let's return to Mary one more time. Jesus said, as she realizes who it is, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. 40 days later, Jesus would actually ascend. He would leave in bodily form. Mary Magdalene went to the other disciples with the news. She says, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Jesus has to tell Mary, don't don't hold on to me. I know you want life a certain way. I know you want me to stay with you. I know you want to hold on to me for a while, but you can't. You see, things are going to change. I'm going to ascend into heaven, but even though things are going to change, I want you to know you're going to be okay. Because actually, through that and through what I've done, in fact, your eternity is looking better. Better than ever. You are going to be okay. Don't hold on to me, but understand, you have an amazing future waiting for you. And in that moment, Mary was no longer in despair. You see, Easter was her anchor that directed her emotion. She was filled with despair, but the news that Jesus is alive, it changed everything. How about the the disciples? There was 11 of them at the time of Jesus' death. Remember those terrified men in the room? Filled with what? Fear. 
They see Jesus alive, the truth of what happened. They end up being some of the bravest preachers of the gospel there has ever been, most of them dying because of their faith. You know how that happens? Terrified people get their emotions totally changed by truth because Easter was their anchor that directed their emotion. And my friends, I know that Easter is something that makes a difference someday on Judgment Day. Absolutely, hallelujah, we look forward to that. But I want you to know that today, right now, Easter, the fact that Jesus lives, can be an anchor that directs your emotion as well. Here's how it works. I want you to think about whatever hardship it is, whatever difficulty, whatever thing from the past that's stressing you out, whatever, uh, whatever valley you're going through. And here's what Easter means. You're either going to be healed or you're going to be healed. It's going to be better or it's going to be better. You're going to be with family. Are you going to be with family? It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Do you feel that? That's the anchor of Easter. Jesus is alive. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that even in our sin, you loved us so much that you had a plan. You had a plan to save us, to renew and restore relationship with you. And Lord, today we celebrate that simple fact that cost your son dearly. And we look forward to the day that we get to, to see you with our eyes. Until then, Lord, I just pray that you remind us that you walk with us, that we're not alone, that you are an anchor for our souls. And Lord, as we leave this place, I I just hope that every single one of us is able to, in the, the peace that comes with Easter, to live changed lives until that day that we see you face to face. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.